I have a testimony I want to share with you, something that occurred, oh, let me go back to about 22 years. In my younger days, I was really active in, in uh, powerlifting, weight training. And in doing so, I sustained some injuries, mostly because I didn't pay attention to procedures I should have done. And I was doing a deadlift in the gym. This was down in Wyandotte, and it was on a Saturday afternoon. And, and you know, my wife and I are pastoring a little church out in the cornfields out in New Boston. And here I am, I'm getting myself ready. You know, I'm, I'm looking at, I, I, had, I had, what was it, 365? That's not big. Not that, to me, it's not anyway, so I'm not bragging by any means. I'm just being specific. It was heavy. And I grabbed a hold of it, and I, and I lifted my legs too fast, and I sprained my lower back. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing injury with me if I'm not careful through the years. So here's what happened. I... At that point, I just tried to put everything back in my gym bag and just kind of walk out like this. It was really bad. I, I got in their vehicle, and, and I drove the three blocks to home, and it took me, whenever it took, my wife knew when I came in, she knew what I was doing, and she knew that I was injured because it took me a long time to get out of the, the Jeep. And, and she met me at the door, and she had ice and ibuprofen waiting for me. And I laid on a couch and I couldn't get comfortable. For the first time in my life, my leg, my leg was pulled up underneath me and I couldn't straighten it without extreme pain. We dug out a crutch and I learned how to crutch myself around the house. I'd never had to have crutches, but I needed crutches. And all I could think of was, I've got to preach tomorrow. Well, I guess I'm going to preach on a crutch. And then to add to things, we talk about timing. God knows where we're at. Every moment he watches over us, and he has a plan. I got a phone call from a, from a, a fellow youth pastor from back in the day, and he and I had lifted together, and he had a power team put together. And it included doing rallies or uh, doing assemblies in schools during the day, doing strongman feats. You know, we would do things like, you know, tear the books, tear, tear phone books, blow up hot water bottles, break bricks. You know, if you've seen uh, the strength team stand come through here from time to time in various places, uh, we had them here. Uh, we were like the first ones to bring them in. Terry is a friend of mine. But in that day, I'd not ever traveled like that before, never done anything like that, and I had a phone call. I'm laying on my back, and I'm like, oh, I've got to talk on the phone. I can't even talk. I'm in so much pain. It was a burning so bad in my lower back, and oh, my goodness, it was just agonizing. And, and, uh, and I knew it was going to probably take about a month before I could even think about doing anything because and, and, uh, I'd been through this before, but this was the worst it's ever been, the worst injury I'd sustained to that point phone rang. It was my friend Paul. He says, Rip, what are you doing this week? Uh, Paul, what you got? And he says, I have got the world's strongest man, Anthony Clark. You know the guy that bench presses 735 pounds? Yeah. He says, I've got him and I've got this guy and this guy. He says, but I need one more man. We need you. 
says, we're going to Lansing and we're going to bomb the schools, man. Oh, excuse me, not like we know bomb today. We're going to hit them with the gospel. And he says, we're going to have rallies. We're going to have rallies at, at the church in Lansing on the east side. He says, this is going to be great. You want to go? We need you. I said, Paul, you're not going to believe this. And he says, well, I want to pray for you. I said, Paul, the good news is I've never been in this shape in my life before. The bad news is it doesn't do any good because I can't get off the couch. I'm in that much pain. I'm even wondering if I can make it to church tomorrow. And he says, I want to pray for you. And I said, knock yourself out, brother. And when we got done, I didn't feel anything special. It just hurt. And I said, Lord, I know some things take time. But I prayed this prayer, God, if you really want me to go on that, and I really am needed, like Paul says, you're going to have to heal me so I can go. Last words of Paul on the phone was, Rip, it's Saturday, Rip, call me Sunday afternoon and let me know what's going on. He says, you're going. There's no getting around it. And I admired his faith. He says, you're going. So Saturday night I went to bed, crutched by the side of the bed, got up to go to church the next morning early, and I grabbed the crutch and I'm making it down the hallway and I felt my legs straighten out. And pretty soon, I got to the bathroom, and I didn't need the, the crutch. And my prayer was this before I even got out of bed. Lord, I'm putting you to the test. And you can do that sometimes. It's okay with him if he's got a plan. And I put the crutch down, and I made it down the stairs without a crutch. I carried my briefcase, which was not a light one. I carried my briefcase to church. I stood and I preached. And by the time it was all over with, we went, we went home. Paul calls me and he says, how you feeling? I said, brother, I tell you what, there's a little bit of pain left there, but I've never had it happen like this before. I've never had it disappear so quickly. And I said, Paul, I'll tell you where I am right now. I'm going to join you in faith because I see God doing something here. And so I joined him on the east side over by Roseville, and uh, we went from there to Lansing. And by that next morning, I was jumping off a seven-foot section of scaffolding coming down and breaking a stack of bricks, concrete blocks. And all I could say was, Lord, this is for you. i got nothing to brag about. But then it continued. That night, we'd go to the rallies at the church, and that's where we could really preach the gospel. And, you know, we'd attract them from the schools. And the church was packed. And each of us had our little choreographed stunts of strength that we were going to do. And Paul, Paul had the good one, you know. He had three feet of ice that he was going to come crashing through. And he decided to do it in such a way with his forearm. Not, should not have done that. And he broke a bone. And he was standing there and his... He was trying, I mean, he was, the, he was like the master of ceremonies of the whole thing, and he's, and he's standing there in pain. And, I, and, and big old Craig Osterveen, we call him hydraulic, and he stands next to me and he goes, he goes, bro, his arm's broken. I can tell by shaking. And I looked at him, I said, dear God, this has not been, all, this has not been a good start. We went back to the motel room that night, he had, Paul had left early to go and get an x-ray, and he came back, and he was in a soft cast, and he says, he says, brothers, he says, my arm is broken. 
he says, I saw the fracture. I have to go. I'm, I, he says, I'm gonna, he says I, I am insisting. The doctor said I could be here and finish it out with a soft cast, but when I get home, I need to have it set properly, put in a, put in a hard cast. He says, just because I refuse to leave this place. God has us in this place. And so we got in a circle, and by then I was just all kinds of lit up. I was not a great man of faith healing back then. I've got to tell you, that had to be developed. Faith has to be developed. That's my subject this morning. And at that point, I was, we're, we were huddled around, and big Anthony Clark, he just, you know, he's no longer with us. He's in heaven. But that brother, hey, he just, he was a caricature of a human body. I've never seen anybody like him. Big, big Samoan. He just walks like it. He, he was shorter than me, and he weighed 325 pounds. Muscle. He could squat 1,000 pounds just for fun. I still have his lifting shoes. Oh, that's beside the point. Anyways, we got in a circle, and, and we let Pentecost fly. And I looked at him. I didn't give anybody a chance to pray. I looked at him and I said, in the name of Jesus, just like my back was healed in the name of Jesus, arm be mended. We all kept praying. The power of God settled in upon us. I had to come back before Wednesday for church, church obligations and serving the Lord and the pastorate. And and, uh, so I came back early, but I knew Paul was going to be there Wednesday, Thursday, and even into Friday. And when he came home by the weekend, I was giving him a call. How you doing, brother? And he says, he says, oh, it's cool. He says, God has healed this. He says, I, he says, I took it to my doctor for verification. He says, I did that just to show him. And he says, I, he says, the doctor looked at it and said, no apparent injury. Paul says, look at this fracture here. How come it's not in yours? And why aren't you putting it? And he says, no apparent injury. And he says, Jesus healed me. He goes, no apparent injury. That's all he could say. God is so good. So there are times when I pray for healing that I think of those times and I say, do it again, God. You haven't changed. We belong to an enduring kingdom. As Jesus was, so are we. Have you read that in 1 John? As Jesus was, so are we in this world. As Jesus was in this world, so are we in this world. Why else are we called the body of Christ? We are the physical expression of the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth. We are called His body. Wow. On earth as it is in heaven was a very real principle of the kingdom of God. Jesus came to bring salvation, but not before he taught continually on the kingdom of God. He came to bring teaching. He came to bring revealing. He he pulled back the veil so we could see his father more clearly. He pulled back the veil that we would know this great kingdom that we walk in more clearly. But there's something that we needed to begin to have an understanding on that. 
And it's the same, it's the same key dynamic through which we are saved. One word. It's that simple. Faith. Faith. Nowadays we hear the word Christian, and I suppose it's been this way through all the years, but if someone identifies themselves as a Christian, you kind of look at it and say, yeah, okay. Are you the saved kind? (laughs) I had that brought up to me by a guy at work a couple months ago, I looked at him and I said, is there another kind? <laughs> he goes, yeah. Faith is what defines us as believers. We are believers. Why? Not just because we believe, but because we obey. Obey is not about have-tos. Obey is about seeing the kingdom of God move in our midst. And this is something that needs to be taught to young ones, but even to some old ones, that, that we, we do not serve a kingdom where it's all about ritual and do's and don'ts and have-tos. It's not about have-tos. In our first church, we had a deacon that was Oh my, he was six foot five. Big Gerald DeRoach. He's on my Facebook friends list. What a character. He says, Brother Pastor, he says, there was one day I was out playing basketball. You can just imagine him playing basketball. He's the most unpeaceful Mennonite I've ever seen on a basketball court. (laughs) Pacifism goes out the door when he's playing ball. And he says, I kept stuffing this guy who thought he was really something. And he says, I was batting a thing out of the air, Big Gerald. And he says, he started complaining to me that I was playing too rough. And he says, I stopped the game. And I walked over and I put my finger down into his face and I said, did your mama tell you to come play ball? Did your mama make you come here and play? No. You know the answer to that. He says, you came here because you wanted to. Because you wanted to be a part of this game. He says, it's time to step up and play some A-league ball. Are you hurting a little bit? Part of the game, isn't it? The difference between A-league and B-league is this. In A-league, you learn to play with pain. And you can only do that by faith. You can only do it by faith. Bootstraps aren't big enough. (laughs) Your arms aren't long enough to reach them. If you want to play A-league ball, you have to play with pain. And if you haven't been to that part of accepting that as part of the kingdom challenge, (laughs) Step up into it. And then you will see more miracles. You will see more signs and wonders. You will see more things happen. You will see more healings. You will see more people getting saved. You have to learn how to play with pain. <laughs> so in a roundabout way, that's what my, my, my brother Deacon, six foot five of him, was trying to tell me. He says, brother, this is A-league. Christianity because there is no B-League. 
God does not have a plan B. If you've had a failure somewhere in your life and you say, I have disrupted God's plan A, I'm on his plan B, nonsense. You've had to learn how to play with pain. You've had to learn to step up. And yes, it feels different in this sense that you're in a place where you thought you would never be. It takes faith. Faith to do this. You have to be a believer and you have to know in whom you have believed. That's what Paul said. Amen. Turn with me to, oh, you knew we were going there. Hebrews 11.1. 1. I love Hebrews 11.1. 1. Oh, I know you do too. Just because there's one word in there that rocked my world one day, and I'm going to tell you about it in just a moment, but I want, I want us to take a peek at this and absorb it. Now faith, now, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Try to tell that to an unbeliever and they look at you and say, I don't get it. Of course they don't. That word now on there can mean two different things. It means about 99%, it means a declarative. I, I, I have no knowledge of, of English composition, but I'm just going to throw that out there. That word now, he goes, now, now listen. But I also look at it and say, now faith. That means faith in the now, right now. I want to lean on that a little bit, if that's okay with you. So any of you here are English majors. If you've been through English composition, maybe you're an author and maybe you put out books and all that kind of stuff. I will fail you every time. My mind was not wrapped around that when I was in school. Now faith is being sure. It's the substance. You have the King James. I like this part. It says it is, it is the substance of things hoped for. The substance. It is the evidence of things not seen. Try to take that to a court of law. It's substance. That means there's something there. It's something there that you can lay your hands on. It's the substance of things that we hope for. What is your hope? What are the things that you're praying for? That is your hope. You hope to see that happen. Faith is a substance of that. If you didn't believe it, you wouldn't be praying it. I, I always like those, the, the, you know, the Job's friends from, from the... Excuse me, they come from the faith camp, if you know what I'm talking about. I never really walked in that a whole lot, but I, I do know this, that, that they had some good teaching about faith, and they had some very, very sharp things to say about doubt and unbelief, which were all Scripture. And I thank God for Brother Hagen, the Pop Hagen, the senior who's gone on now and beholding the face of Jesus. I loved his teachings. I loved his books. But some of that was taken a little bit further than what Hagen wanted it to go to, and he made that statement to his son before he, before he died. 
that there are always extremes to teachings, and I hope that you haven't been burned by any of that, or, or even if you're walking in that, you're offended by my saying this. I believe that. I walk in part of that, that camp, okay? I have that component of faith, but the one thing I never liked is, is the part where, where you hear someone confess something that they're believing in, and all of a sudden they say something that goes against that, and pretty soon they're going, oh, cancel that, cancel that. So I'm sorry, you can't cancel that. The name it and claim it is what we called it over in the Pentecostal camp, and that wasn't too pretty. I beg for forgiveness from them. We need more grace and love in our church, and in other churches, and in Christianity, because we all belong to the same Lord. But there was a point I want to tell you about now faith that woke my eyes up. We were in a church in Clarkston. You know where Clarkston is? You know where Sashaba Road is? You know where Sashaba Road is, where it joins Exit 89 right there? It used to be known as the Pine Knob Theater Exit. There was a little church down there. It's no longer there because a boulevard has been put in over the last 10 years, or 15, maybe more. But anyways, there was a little church. There were two churches together across from an elementary school, and it was about a quarter of a mile um, on Sashba Road from the exit. And that little church uh, was a little white church with blue trim, and it was called Good Shepherd Assembly of God. My wife and I pastored there for five and a half years. We had a visitation of God that, that my charismatic friends would say, you had a portal of God's blessing over your church. And I said, yeah, we did. We did. Steve Hill and John Kilpatrick would say it this way, get the pattern right and the glory falls. Did you hear that? Get the pattern right and the glory falls falls. If you want to walk in the glory realm, you have to get rid of some things and get some other things stowed away and strapped down real tight because it's not a smooth ride, but it's a glorious ride. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Brother Hagin said it this way, there is nothing like the glory of God in manifestation. We have become, people, we have become too satisfied with just what is. And none of us want to take this kingdom by force anymore, seems like. Jesus said we are in a position like John the Baptist. We are in that position. And the force will lay, will lay a hold of it. Because the kingdom of God moves with violence. It moves with force. And those who want to be a part of it have to lay a hold of it forcefully. You've heard me give the analogy of a freight train. You just don't casually grab a hold of it. If you want to hop a train like the hobos used to hop trains and, and crazy people hop trains, you don't, just, you don't just, yeah, okay, you lay a hold of it forcefully. We were in the middle of that on that little church in Clarkson laying a hold of things forcefully, and after a while I became weary. It was difficult, but I was tough, you know. I was, a, I was a tough guy. That's what my doctor calls me. He says, you're a tough guy. I didn't have that kind of tough. 
It was a trial. It was difficult. But we had the glory of God. We had, we had that in manifestation for about three or four years. We had revival. And all of us that walked in that were changed forever. We instantly stepped up into A-League Christianity, whether we wanted to or not. One day, I was on... I was all by myself. I, we had a food ministry that, that ministered to about 7,000 people every year out of a congregation of about 35. And it got the eyes of the sheriff. It got the eyes of the state police. It got the eyes of the fire department. got the eyes of the EMTs. I mean, their focus was on us because they'd never seen anything like that and they wanted to protect us. That brought tears to my eyes when I heard from one of them one day. But on this Tuesday, I got done preparing everything all by myself, you know, just preparing everything, a small congregation, just, you know, pastors do most of the stuff. And anything that needs to be done, you do it. And it's like, that's okay. But this one day it wasn't okay. I was in my office and I had my head down on my desk. I will never forget it. It's a beautiful spring day like today. I had my head down on the desk and I was begging God to let me quit to move me on because I just couldn't bear it anymore. And I heard this. I had left my door open. And I looked and there were two young men standing at the door. Are you the pastor? I said, I am. You see, that was a confession right there. Of course they knew I was. I never met these two, but one of them, one of them was the speaker, and the other one was silent. The one that was speaker had the whitest T-shirt on I'd ever seen, and he had the whitest blonde hair that was short and spiked up like this. That was the end thing back then. Muscular. Being a power lifter, I looked at him. I thought that guy lifts. And they said, we hear that you have a food ministry here. There's a second thing that was a little bit strange right there. It's because no one called it a food ministry. They called it a food pantry. But if you knew what it was all about, you call it a food ministry because that's what it was. It was not a food pantry. (laughs) And here I am. I'm starting to pull myself up by bootstraps, you know. And I, I said, what can I do to help you guys? We are here because you, because we've heard that you have a food ministry here and we have visited other churches in the area. Uh-oh. Number three. We have visited other churches in here around your area and none of them are involved in what you're doing. And I said, yes, sir. I know. He says, we even went to that really big one over here and I walked in the door and all I asked for was one bag of groceries. And they turned me down and said, there's that little church over there that does that. Go to them. And they stood there without guile, without malice, but something very, very kingdom-like in their voice. And they said, can you show us? I said, gladly. I'll never forget the moment took them down the short hallway into our fellowship hall, which was all set up. We had, we had a t- 
tables set up along the wall with, with food that had been rotated out of like, like the, um, the, big, the big store down the street. It was all laid out. I mean, we had everything. And then we had a room with non-perishables, canned goods and everything. And, and I mean, we were set up. God did that for us. The whole thing was miraculous. When you take care of God's friends, he'll take care of you as a church. And he is friends to the poor. Don't ever despise the poor because someday you'll cry and you won't receive help. That's scripture. That's scripture. It makes me feel kind of like nervous on the inside. Am I helping the poor enough? These two guys, I, I showed them everything and they only took a couple things. It's like, uh-oh. I knew what was going on. I knew I was being visited and tested by angels. But they weren't there to test me to see that I fell. They were there to test me to see that I succeed. And I said, is there anything else I can give you? No, no, no. In fact, we're, we're just ready to go. The other guy never said a word. Walked him down the hallway, got down the steps out to the vestibule, and the front door was right there. And, and, and they looked at me and they said, get this. Big guy again. The other one didn't say a word. Big guy. He goes, what is your favorite verse in the Bible? And so I told him. He says, you know what mine is? I said, what's that? He goes, oh, that one in Hebrews 11, 1, it says, now faith. Now faith. And when he said that, I about buckled my knees. With tears in my eyes. I'd known I'd been visited by angels. Now, faith. Now, the story goes on with those two guys. One guy, the, the one guy, I should say, goes on further to a dream and a vision and a verification of what I asked for was given to me by the next, the next day. But that's, that's another story. It's a long story. But I just want to tell you this. Now, faith is a substance of what you're hoping for. Everyone in here is hoping for something. Don't tell me you're not. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things unseen. Incredible. When you plant a seed of faith, it has to come up. Now, I will say this. This is the, the not-so-good side of it, but every seed planted sprouts. It is the nature of the seed to sprout. It happens. Put a seed down there, and you give the right conditions, that thing will sprout. Will it grow and bear fruit? That we're not so sure of, because that doesn't always happen. But we can say this without a doubt. Every seed planted will sprout. It is the nature of the seed to do so. And that's why Jesus spoke often. He spoke of, of having even said this, that if you will have faith, even the size of a mustard seed, you can look at that mountain and you can tell it, move, get over there. Or you will look in another occasion, he says, you will, you will look at a mulberry tree and tell it to uproot itself and go plant itself over there. Now think about that for a minute. 
How much faith? It's not how much you have, it's how much you use. Use it. Believe it. Never doubt. I was in a place, uh, I was in a dry place. As, as, a, as a pastor, I was in a dry place and, 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 I'd, and I'd completely given up on believing for this certain thing again. It's, it's, my, it's my number one prayer. It's, it's how I, I live and move and have this being. Is it all wrapped up in this one, one thing I've asked God for and I've yet to see it. There have been times that I just said, I'm not asking anymore, Lord. You know you know where I'm at. I'm just not going to ask anymore. And the Lord just very quietly one day, He says, I want you to start believing again. Will you start believing for that again? I had not doubted. He just said, will you actively believe in it again? Because it is a substance of things hoped for. A substance is only a substance if we're hoping for it. And the Lord says, I want you to hope for that because it brings pleasure to me. Wow. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So when you doubt, how do you... Uh, well, you can find out how God feels. Read the Gospels. Jesus would sigh, oh, how long will I be with you? He would sigh. Jesus would even give him that little dose of sanctified sarcasm. Yes, he did. That's where I learned some of my... No, I'm giving excuses now. <laughs> it's almost my second language. Oh, God, you're so good. Believe him again. Believe him again. Because he wants you to be co-active with him in seeing miracles take place. Hallelujah. Faith is a seed. If you'll join me in Matthew 17, verses 20 and 21. Jesus came down off that mountaintop. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, it's, it, it was an actual occasion where Jesus was, was transfigured and up on a mountaintop, and he stood there. He stood there with, with Elijah and Moses and God. Then there was Peter and John were with them, and they all stood there, and they beheld the glory of the Son of Man and the glory of God heard His voice. Now, if that wouldn't boost your faith and light you up, but they came down on the mountain right down to regular daily living. And you heard me say this, what, last week or week before, you know, the problem with daily living is that it's so daily. <laughs> so Daily. And they went right into a situation where there was a boy who would often throw himself into the fire because of demons. Today, we just give him a pill and say, here, take this and come to therapy. Come on. And that is why pharmacy is, is sorcery is called pharmacia because we are living in a day and age, I'm getting sidetracked, but I want you to know this, I see it too, is that we are living in a day of pharmacia. Sorcery, where everything is fixed with a drug. Demons love it because they like getting high too. That wasn't sarcasm. That was truth. 
The boy was throwing himself in the fire, and the, and, and the disciples had their discernment on straight. They knew it was a demon, so they went right actively to casting it out. I wonder if one of them scratched their head and goes, and goes, maybe it wasn't a demon. No, it was a demon, and they knew it. And then they asked Jesus, how come we couldn't cast it out? He cast the thing out. Poof, gone. And he looked at him and he said, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you. Oh, you of little faith. Did he say no faith? He said little faith. Larry, would you put that up again? Matthew 17, 20 through 21. He said, because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth. That's why you couldn't cast out. He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Can you say that that is a word that does not exist in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God, and should not be in our vocabulary? We have a lot of maybe nots, don't we? Maybe nots are not good. Maybe nots are destructive to faith and an outcome of it. Faith as a seed. Lay a hold of it. Develop it. Oh, I'm looking at veterans. Veteran soldiers in the army of the Lord. And you know this, so I want want to give this to you to, to stir and to build at the same time. Faith needs to be developed, doesn't it? <laughs> you, know what, you know what about 90% of that developing of that faith is? Faith stands on its own. Why develop it? No, <laughs> really what it is, it's a killing of the flesh. And it's a, it's a, it's a teaching of our willful, our willful consciousness, our willful brain to say it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen in the name of Jesus, the name above all names, the name that rules over impossibilities in the name of Jesus. Rise, take up your bed and walk. Think about Abraham. Abraham was told to pluck himself up and go to a land that he had never seen before. In fact, he was going to a land, and the Lord said, where I will show you later. Go to the place, but I'm not going to show you. You're going to have to rely on me every step of the way. He was teaching him faith. He was teaching him how to follow. He's teaching him how to be our, our patriarch, our father of the faith, Abraham. Now, you look at Abraham's life in that, in that instance right there, in that in that portion of his life, he was doing something that we need to do also, is that our, the things that we believe for in regard to faith is that we have, to, we have to put our faith not in experiences, we have to take our expectation and, and raise our expectation far above our experiences. You catch that? Expectation must exceed your experiences or you're going nowhere. Think about Abraham. He would have went nowhere if his expectation was relying on past experiences, but he boosted it up a notch because he met God. He heard a voice that say, go, leave this land. Now, try to convince your family. (laughs) 
can't wait to get to heaven and say, what was that like? That's why heaven is forever, is because we can have that kind of time with everybody. Too cool. Those things that you're believing God for, are they greater than your experiences behind you? You have to reach up. The Lord will bring you up if you will reach up. But you have to reach up beyond your experiences. Now, it's good to have experience and say, yeah, I've done this before. I know what to do. That's cool. But when it comes to a point of faith and believing for a greater thing, do not be surprised, and you know this, when the Lord puts you in a place that you've never been. Because he's actively bringing us up higher and higher. And our faith must exceed our experience. It must exceed that. So we can see greater things and be used in greater things and watch God go. The Lord wants to use you. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. God wants to use you. That's why you're still here. I stand in awe of some of the places where I've been because God was there. And one, one occasion was my wife's aunt, Aunt Elfair. She was, what, about 94? And she was in a hospital bed at 94. And I, I'm, I'm in my softball uniform. I'm on my way to a softball game, but... But I, she had a special request to have me there for something she, because she had a question for me. And I thought, this ought to be good. So I, I go in and I said, hi, Ann Elfair. You know, excuse me, I'm on my way to a, a ball game. But I said, I'd love to talk with you for a minute. She goes, yeah, I have. Now, she was never one to mince words, okay? I mean, she was as sharp as a tack, man. And she looks at me and she goes, and, and she, she had a faith. She had a faith that was strong. And she... She looks at me and she goes, why am I still here? 94 years old. Now, when you get to be 94, I suppose a lot of people have just died under you, behind you, and you just keep going on. And she was wondering, why am I going on? I'm the oldest one around me. Everybody else my age, or they, they died 20, you know how that is. 94, you come to that point. And, and she says, why am I still here? She says, I've done everything for the Lord that I know to do, and I'm still here. And all I could do is say, Alfair, you're pleasing in his sight. I want to pray for you. I want to, I want to help you with that question. But you, she goes, I know you can't answer that. I just wanted to talk with you. That's the last time I saw her alive. She's with Jesus now. We will come to a point in our lives where we have never been. Abraham came to that point right straight up. <laughs> That's how he started. Faith has to be developed, but not as much as what our mind and our will has to develop. And there are times that you've heard that the longest, the longest distance is between the heart and the head, and sometimes the Lord will offend our head to touch our heart. He likes doing that. Sometimes we overthink things because in our overthinking we'll begin to doubt. We'll begin to analyze. And sometimes we can analyze the anointing flat out of something. 
You ever done that? Analyze the anointing right out of it. Forget it. That moment's gone. It's because we won't receive something straight up and go with it. Why? Because we look foolish. Good. Good. We're all foolish for Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.7 Thank you, Larry. We live by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. Oh, we've had that one stored away, stashed away for a long time. That one's been hidden in our hearts. And, and uh, the spotlight of heaven's been shining on that in our lives for how, for how long. But I just want to remind you again, we do not walk by outside circumstances that we see around us. You see me take this analogy, this chair right here is not real. Why? Because I can see it. That confounds the, the wise right there. They look at me, you're crazy. I say, mm-hmm, someday you won't think that. The things we cannot see are real. The things that we do see are temporal. Paul said that to the Corinthians. The very things that you do see are temporary. The things you do not see, those things are the ones that last forever. Mm-hmm. So again, I will ask you, is this chair real? Well, yes, while we walk here on this earth among the natural things, it is to the natural, but i got to tell you, there are greater things that are real that we cannot see. We see what? Nine-tenths of an, or one-tenth of an iceberg, nine-tenths is underneath the water. That's what sunk the Titanic, folks. You're not supposed to bump into icebergs with ships. Something's going to sink. We, lo- we, we live by faith, we walk by faith. That is our eyesight. And I knew this, we, my wife and I were at a conference one time and we were listening to Brother uh, Cho from South Korea, from Seoul, South Korea, and he said, he said this, I would pray until my faith became sight. When I was troubled and I would be on the edge of doubting what God said he would do for me, what he would do as a pastor, what he, would, what he had planned for me, the plan for us, when I begin to come to doubt, he says, I would stop whatever I'm doing and I would pray until my faith became sight. He was one that people said he would pray eight hours a day and pastor a church of a half million people. How did he do that? Well, one, one fellow told me this. Well, he says, well, I was out... I was out playing golf with them, and I watched it. We, we, couldn't get through, we couldn't get through the front nine in less than five hours. Because he'd stop in the middle of a hole. He'd stop, and he'd go over to a tree, and he'd sit down under the tree, and he'd begin to pray. And he'd say, brothers, go on. I'll catch up with you. He'd say, I would pray until my faith became sight. When your faith is no longer your sight, you begin to doubt. Peter learned that when he got out on the water. He got into a place where his his expectation was much higher than his experience. Why, that was crazy. No one ever, Jesus walked on the water, they kind of questioned that. What were they going to do when Peter did that? Same thing Peter did. He, at least he got out of the boat, he got out on the water, but he, his faith ceased being his sight. 
and he used natural eyes, and he saw this is a very unnatural thing I'm doing right now. And Jesus grabbed him, and he pulled him up, and they both went to the boat together. When you find yourself in a place of doubting, stop whatever you're doing. Have a reflex action in your spirit that offends your mind if it need be, but have this reflex action. I'm developing this yet. The reflex action where you begin to doubt, and before you even so much as speak it, boom, you catch it and say, I need to pray until my faith becomes my sight. And I begin to walk in that. And not walk in my feelings. Walk in what I'm seeing. Or walk in the weariness that threatens to take me over. Pray until your faith becomes sight. We walk by it. And our sight, our natural sight, is so important to us. You know, we... We often try to play the little game. What if I would lose this or what if I'd lose that? Anything, but please, Lord, not my sight. But you are truly blind when your faith is gone. Lifestyle faith is what that is. It's not the faith that teaches you to believe in things. It's the, it's the faith that teaches you to believe God and believe in the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom things. That's faith. That's the faith he wants to develop. That's the faith that he wants to have as a lifestyle in us. Faith brings order to my chaos. Faith brings clarity to my confusion. Faith brings hope to my darkness. I am a believer. I am an obeyer and Jesus is my Lord and Master. Faith. Abraham never saw that promised land, but one thing that he didn't know was that he was walking in it every day. Think about that for a minute. The land much promised really didn't come until several hundred years later and by much travail and by much conquering, but Abraham walked freely in it. Why do you think Abraham lived in tents? It's because he was not satisfied with a house. Think about that. He was looking for the land whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. Whose builder and maker is God. Look at that last sentence there. He was looking for the enduring city whose builder and maker was God. And he wasn't satisfied with a house. He would stay here for a while, and he'd say, we're going to go over here and stay. And he walked the vast boundaries of the promised land in freedom and in expectation and in faith, but he never saw it. But yet he believed. Wow. That's Abraham faith. Okay, last little bit. Are you ready? I want to talk to you about doubt and unbelief. Turn to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
And speaking of lack, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe. Oh, there's that word. And not doubt. Because he who doubts, this is the one you can underline. This goes for any time we doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Ow! Wow! Doubt and unbelief. I want to give you a working definition of those two. You just kind of hang on to this one for a moment. Doubt is born out of hurt, pain, and a broken heart. That's where doubt comes from. Unbelief is a totally different animal. Unbelief is a function of the will. Unbelief may know God is able, but says God won't. Think about that for a moment. This is why bitterness is such a strong, strong poison in us, is because we may doubt in hurt. We may doubt in pain. We may doubt like doubting Thomas. Amen? And why was Thomas doubting? Because he didn't want to receive anybody's word that the Lord was alive. He hadn't seen him yet, and he wanted to see him with all his heart. And he even went so far as to say, I'm not going to believe it until I've been hurt once. I don't want to be hurt again. I want to put my fingers in his, in his nail wounds. I want, to, I want to see him. I want to put my finger in. I want to thrust my fist in his side where the spear went in. Now that's getting pretty honest. The reason why he doubted is because his heart was crushed in a way that the others hadn't experienced. But then again, the others were crushed along the way as well. Thomas didn't deny Jesus three times to a servant girl. No, Thomas quietly hurt on the inside and to the point when Jesus was resurrected, hallelujah, when he was raised from the dead, the grave couldn't hold on to him. When that happened, he, 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 has, he was one of the last ones to see him. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, boom, pops, pops into the room, and he says, Thomas, Thomas, my hands, look at my hands, Thomas, my side. And immediately, Thomas gets down on his knees, and he says, my Lord and my God, the joy that must have filled him And then Jesus said something very powerful. Walking by faith and not by sight, he looks at him and he says, Blessed are you because you have seen. Blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. He's bringing Thomas up to a new place, wasn't he? He's bringing Thomas out of his experiences and up to a new expectation. Oh, Unbelief is a totally different animal than doubt. Doubt you can fight with, okay? But unbelief is when you've given up the fight and you've allowed bitterness to settle in and you say, I just won't. How many of you have seen that in other people's lives? 
They've been offended and they hurt so bad that they become filled with bitterness toward God and toward the church. And they'll say, never, never. You still believe in that stuff? Never. Now there's unbelief for you. That's unbelief. Would you stand with me, please? Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. Feeling a little beat up this past week? Well, guess what? God says you are blessed because you believe him. You haven't seen him like Thomas saw him. You are blessed. And so are the brothers and sisters of our generation. Hallelujah. Father, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for your goodness. Lord, that you have revealed such things to babes, you said. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would take those who are a little too big for their britches in their heart and convert them to a child. For such will only see the kingdom of heaven. Oh, Jesus, take us back to that place of simple believing. Lord, children believe. And they are taught unbelief. And they are taught how to doubt. They are taught how to be suspicious. And Lord, some of those things are necessary. But Lord, that is a perfect picture. And I pray, God, that you would, that you would bless that to each in this congregation, Lord, that we would see that we, we must believe things if we want to see you move in our lives. Lord, many of us are faced with, with illness. Many of us are faced with, with, with terrible financial problems. Some of us, God, we deal with the unsaved in our families. Lord, some of us will go into a very dark place today and even tomorrow and this week. Lord, your servant is in one of those places. So, Father, I pray that you would use childlike faith, God, to propel us and to bring us through. Lord, I pray blessing on each one today. Father, I pray your glory would be shining over them and in them. Pick them up and carry them on, Lord, for everything that comes face to face with them this week. Lord, for Pastor Mike and Chris, Lord, it's so good to have them go away and, and, and rest so, Lord, when they come back, they'll be ready to go. And, Lord, bring it back safely to us, Lord. We thank you that, that we have good, good pastors here, Lord, in them. Hallelujah. Lord, we stand with them. Father, I want to thank you for this day. And yes, Lord, every day is a good day, but some days are better than others, and we have a beautiful springtime day. It reminds us of you, Lord. Thank you for that. I pray everyone take something out of here. Lord, the presence of God rise up, fill their hearts and lives, homes, even in their cars. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you as you go.